Welcome to Season 8 of American Political History, Colonial America, The Great American Melting Pot. This season, we're going to take a step back and look more globally at the colonial era of America. We will be looking at the changes from the 17th century into the 18th century, which was developing American culture. Who were the people that immigrated to the New World, where they would form the cultural elements that would set the foundation for the American nation? Hector St. John de Crevecor, a Frenchman who immigrated to New York, commented on, The great American melting pot, out of which came a new American, changed and different from his origins as an Englishman, Dutchman, Frenchman, German, or Jew. This description of America was rapidly adopted and taken to heart, and has been considered a mark of pride for Americans from the 18th century until now. In the 17th century, almost all immigrants were coming from England, but as the 18th century began, this would change with large numbers of Scots, Germans, as well as the forced migration of African slaves. The federal census in 1790 showed that out of the white population of 3.1 million in the United States, 61% were English, 14% were Scots, 9% were Germans, 4% Irish, and an additional 5% was contributed from a combination of Dutch, French, and Swedish. New York, or the New Netherlands, had always been a melting pot from the very start. Remember the Dutch policy of the New Netherlands, obtaining foreign immigrant labor from mostly Northern Europe, as well as the Dutch's utilization of African slaves much earlier than any of the other colonies. And this was because the Dutch, before the Anglo-Dutch Wars, had supplanted the Portuguese as the dominant merchants transporting African slaves in the early 17th century. French Huguenots concentrated themselves in the Carolinas, though they only ever constituted a relatively small minority of the population. German immigration began with the German Quakers immigrating to Philadelphia. In 1683, Francis Daniel Pastorius obtained a plot of land just north of Philadelphia. This German settlement would quickly become known as Germantown. Germantown was known for its marketplace of skilled tradesmen. They practiced trades such as weaving flax, glassblowing, masonry, smithing, cabinet making, and they had skilled coopers, hatmakers, cobblers, tailors, and seamstresses. Today, many would be wondering what a cooper is. They are skilled professionals at making things like barrels, buckets, tubs, and other containers made of wood. And a cobbler is not a dessert. A cobbler is a professional who works on shoes. Our modern lifestyles of closets filled with shoes is completely unheard of before the 21st century. Most people would own one or two shoes for years, and that pair of shoes would be in need of repair from time to time. German immigrants who spoke a different language and had different customs from the dominant English culture would settle themselves into enclaves where they could surround themselves with fellow German immigrants. The most famous of these was Germantown, Philadelphia. But one could find settlements on the frontiers of Virginia, Maryland, and the Carolinas. It is estimated that by the time of the Revolution, around 100,000 Germans had immigrated to Philadelphia alone, with an uncounted number coming from smaller enclaves throughout colonial America. Jewish immigration faced far more obstacles than simple language and customs. 
1654, despite opposition from Dutch authorities, Sephardic Jews were the first Jews to immigrate to an American colony. Jews faced open discrimination in every European and Middle Eastern country. This included the horrific legacy of pogroms, where the population of a city would get whipped up into a mob, round up its Jewish residents, beat them, rape them, steal from them, and or kill them, all at the mob's leisure. On a less horrific level than the pogroms, Jews faced open discrimination in every colony in America. So they selected the colonies that they viewed as having the least levels of discrimination. Yet, Jewish immigrants, despite these obstacles, quickly succeeded at whatever avenue was available to them in the American culture. In New York, Jewish residents would become known for their talents as silversmiths. Meyer Myers would become president of the Silversmith Society of America. Aaron Lopez, a Jew from Portugal, immigrated to Newport, and by the 1780s it was said that his wealth as a merchant surpassed that of any other American merchant. Peter Klom immigrated to New York in the middle of the 18th century and was astonished at the prevalence of freedom of Jews living in New York. These freedoms included things which we would think as mundane rights today. Things like Jews were allowed to build a synagogue in the open without the retaliatory violence of pogroms in Europe or facing violent governmental attacks for heresy, which they would have faced in the Middle East. Jews in New York had the ability to own land, even possessing large estates on the countryside. Jews could own their own shops and interact in the marketplace as merchants. They weren't even required to obtain a special Jew license to sell and trade their goods. Of course, Jews certainly faced open discrimination from businesses or anti-Semitic slurs casually hurled their way. But in the 18th century, New York gave freedoms and prosperities that no Jew could enjoy anywhere else found in the world. It became common knowledge amongst the Jewish immigrants. The best opportunities and freedoms for Jewish people would be found in New York, Philadelphia, Charleston, or Rhode Island. But we are forgetting an additional obstacle that Jews in particular would face for centuries to come. They would be required to obtain special permission to be able to immigrate to countries outside of their home country, including the United States. This obstacle would prevent any mass migration of Jews to America. Jewish migration would be slow and steady over the centuries, with only those allowed to escape their home countries coming to establish themselves in America. In the 18th century, the largest non-English population of immigrants to the American colonies was that of the Scots. Today, we think of Scottish people as one ethnic group. But in the 18th century, one could not confuse a Scot-Irish with a Scottish Highlander. Following the rebellions of the Irish chieftains in 1608, King James I confiscated most of Ireland. This became known as the Great Plantation of the Irish Countryside. He removed the rebels from their ancestral lands and brought in a bunch of Scottish immigrants to settle the best farming lands within Ireland. These lands were directly administered by Whitehall. Whitehall dictated what would be grown, when, and how. They dictated how much crops could be sold for, and they banned the production of cloth textiles in Ireland because they didn't want to have anything produced in Ireland which could compete with English textile makers. With these policies, within a few generations, this tightly controlled and administered economy ended in economic devastation. Many of the Scot-Irish families, in fact, whole communities of Scot-Irish, decided that their future was not in Ireland, but in America, 
where they would have much greater autonomy and access to economic and political freedom. Besides just the Scots-Irish, Scottish people in general started migrating in large numbers for the same economic opportunities available in the American colonies. It is estimated somewhere around 200,000 Scottish people immigrated to America during the 18th century. Scottish immigrants would see the limited opportunities of the established colonial cities, and so they would travel as communities and settle on the American frontier. These Scottish immigrants had little to no experience or connections with native nations that they were about to settle next to. Interested in the opportunities that possessing their own land gave them, these Scottish immigrants would quickly become one of the first waves of American immigrants to ruthlessly push into the frontier, quickly seeing native nations and their cultures as obstacles to successful capitalization of the opportunities of the American colonies. And the natives found no allies or protector from the English culture that dominated colonial America. For English had no particular societal doctrine from seizing lands and property from those that could not hold them. Might was right. During the 18th century, Scottish immigrants would establish communities on the colonial frontier from Pennsylvania to Georgia. At the same time, though, history offers us strange yin and yangs. Scottish immigrants would also start producing the American frontiersmen who spent most of his time traveling far beyond the frontiers of English colonies deep into native lands. The frontiersmen would almost always be on friendly terms with many native nations and their peoples, often adopting native garb and culture, living off the land with the techniques of natives. The frontiersmen would soon become the middleman for almost all trade between American colonies and native nations far in the interior. The frontiersmen would show up out of nowhere at an unsuspecting colonial town, spend a few days in European culture selling their trade goods, then disappear back beyond the frontier returning to a life in the wilderness far more in common with the natives than that of their original European cultures. Scottish immigrants also had a distinct impact on American colonial culture. For the Scottish immigrants came with a distinct passion and love for the freedoms that they could enjoy in America. Scottish politicians clamored and agitated for reform in the American colonial system. They were as eager to challenge the colonial American authorities as they were any English authorities. It was Scottish Americans that fought against and took control of political power from the Quaker minority in Pennsylvania. It was Scottish Americans who repeatedly fought against the landed aristocracy in the southern colonies of Virginia, Maryland, and the Carolinas. And it was Scottish immigrants who helped to contribute the firebrand nature to American politics. So it should be no coincidence or surprise to you that on March 23, 1776, Patrick Henry, a descendant of Scottish immigrants, would implore his fellow Americans, give me liberty or give me death. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.